Hello, hello, and Happy New Year! I'm recording this on January 4th. I've decided we'll just call this my Season 3 premiere. I have not decided yet whether or not I'll release it on my podiversary, which is something like, I don't know, February 17th, or if I'll be sitting here going, nope, nope, I want to put it out now, now, now. I'm not going to scream into the microphone. So depending on when I release this, you know, happy uh, January, happy almost Valentine's Day, after Valentine's, I don't even know. Are you doing okay out there? I hope you didn't make any resolutions. I repeat. I hope you did not make any resolutions. You know why? We need to stop that practice. How about make a re resolution not to make a resolution? I haven't for years because the word itself is so fraught with negativity. We, we never keep them, right? I do think setting intentions can be a good thing though. Little mini goals, but I digress. I'm not here for a self-help podcast. Full disclosure, I had about 28 minutes recorded and I am starting over because the aliens had decided to kidnap my tongue and parts of my brain quite early in the episode this time and I finally decided I don't want to start like that. I still haven't made that t-shirt. I just cannot draw what is in my head. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. Aliens stole my tongue. <sighs> that is if anybody wants to actually buy the merchandise. Okay, I said it. Which in fact reminds me, right up front. I am going to subject you to the business. It business time. And if you get that, you are my new favorite. Do you get that reference? Let me know at, do you like that segue? Pod Pinky on Twitter. And of course, I'm on Facebook. I have an official website, PinkySwearPress.com. I would love for you to visit. I'm on Buy Me a Coffee slash Pinky Pod. I would love to do some exclusives for you. Come and join. There are monthly uh, memberships, if you will, but there's also the ability to just tip me as low as like a buck or two. I would so appreciate it if I've ever done anything that you remotely like, whether it be my podcast, my books, or I was just nice to you. <laughs> you know, throw me a little something, something. I always help other people out. And even if I don't have money. I do something that you can do as well, which is like, share, comment, review, unless you're going to be a jerk. But why would you do that? You love me. I love you. You love me. Right? Right. Um, and I'm, I'm still looking, you know, to tell ghost stories if you have any or, or UFOs or Bigfoot or anything at all, you know, S right, S R O I T at pinkysquarepress.com. You know, send me a story and I will read it on a podcast if you like. I didn't do very many bonus episodes on season two. So, of course, the season seems a lot shorter. Like my first one, I must have done 40 episodes if you add the bonuses. The last one, I'm, I'm not even sure it was 30. I haven't decided yet how season three will go. It seems odd to already be on season three when it's barely a year. I guess I'm used to be TV shows being like one season per year, but I am not a TV show, so we'll see how it goes. By the way, I forgot to ask, did you miss me? Did you even notice that was gone? <sighs> I need someone to talk to. Okay, that's enough being needy. I'm fine. I'm fine. Where was I? So what am I going to open with 
today. Well, if you read the show notes, you know. If you didn't, I guess I'm going to have to tell you. I thought about opening with something creepy, poltergeisty, you know, possession-y, because boy, do you all love that. Uh, and I have more than one episode like that, but for some reason, an episode titled Ave Maria is working on 300 downloads. I am a very small podcast, so 300 downloads is huge. <sighs> Let me say that again. Huge. Huge. It's huge. I, I, you know, if, if you've listened to it, let me know what it is you love about it so much so I can do some more. That's exciting. Um, I do have, if you scroll through, maybe that one pops up first. I don't know. But if you scroll through past episodes, I have other possessions and creepy, ghosty, you know, stuff on there. Okay. Okay. But today, and since I've already done the research and written the notes, so why would I throw it out now I'm going to begin with a prison I was kind of inspired to do this uh, after watching Ghost Hunters aka Taps on Discovery Plus their New Year's Day new episode and they went to Joliet Prison of course so shall we get to it and by the way it is supposed to be haunted so they're there are some creepy things going on here. I don't know how creepy my episode is going to be, but if you hear something in here and you want me to maybe look deeper into a specific ghost, I'll see what I can find. There might not be much, but I'll try. Now, this prison was opened in 1858, six years after the city of Joliet, this is in Illinois, was incorporated. Uh, these days, it's pretty much called Old Joliet Prison, and it has a dark history as many prisons do. This isn't even the worst one I ever heard of. Heard of. In fact, Taps did, I think it was Halloween special at a penitentiary in Missouri, where I'm from. And they had something called squirrel cages. I should do that one. It was really, really funky. Now, anyway, but we're talking about Joliet right now. It has been, as you have already guessed from me talking about them, the subject of a few paranormal investigations. And it's open these days for tours, not just creepy ghost tours, but also historical tours. It's a historical landmark. And I went to the webpage. There's many different price points. You can even kind of walk around by yourself. So there's guided tours and not so guided tours. And I guess they had them come in recently to check to make sure that people would be safe when they went on the tours. And I'm talking about safe from ghosts, but we'll get to that. The building itself is kind of beautiful in a way due to, or thanks to, Chicago architect W.W. Boylington. He gave it a gothic look. And I thought I had read or seen, because I, I watched a couple episode about some stuff too. Well, on the TAPS thing, they had a historian and other people there talking about it, which again, I'll get to. Um, I think it's the last gothic prison built or maybe they just met in that area. I don't know. Local limestone was used in the construction of it. And if you're familiar with ghost hunting or watch any of the shows, you know that limestone is very conducive to hauntings. Like the Stanley Hotel is built on top of limestone, okay? Joliet Prison replaced, or penitentiary, replaced Illinois' first state penitentiary, which was in Alton. 
where it resided on a bluff with a view of the Mississippi River. And this was 1831. It was privately managed, so as you might guess, it degraded into a horrendous state. Famous reformer Dorothy Dix petitioned Illinois General Assembly for a new prison after inspecting Alton in 1847. So from 1831 to 1847 is not a long time. So man, that must have been real messed up. <laughs> Now, there was a little construction in the years prior to Joliet officially opening, but it, it wasn't much, you know. Uh, it sounds like there was a small building already there because you could say that the official start of the prison was May 22nd, 1858, with the arrival of 53 inmates to that small building. And that building is still there. And those 53 inmates came to work on the prison. They were basically going to build a prison around themselves, yo. Yeah, woo-woo, let's build our own prison. They even worked in the quarry, you guys. They dug up the limestone for it. Now, building continuously went on for years, so I don't think it, it wasn't only 53 people this entire time, but for quite a while, 53 inmates were working around the clock on this shit. And again, we'll come back to that, but it is worth noting that when this prison opened, the Chicago Tribune gave it a glowing review. In fact, they were quite optimistic about its future. But <laughs> by 1878, it was well over capacity. Approximately 2,000 inmates were housed in a place that was meant to hold 1,000, at least by original records. Even by 1872, they had already set a record for the largest prison population at 1,239. It sits on over 72 acres of land, and the main building is three stories. It's flanked by two cell block wings, and has the main building has warden quarters included in it as well as you know for their entire family could you imagine living in a prison or growing up in a prison i guess if you were a kid it would just be normal to you until all of your little friends were like wow you live in a prison i even if you're not a prisoner i wouldn't that be weird <laughs> but then you know if you listen to any of my northern state hospital episodes uh, people grew up there, too, around an insane asylum. You know, there's, there's um, in the book I have, there's people who talk about when their childhoods there. And they had some, some of them sound like they had idyllic childhoods. So I don't know, maybe it builds character. Now, for some perspective on this, one of the cell blocks has four tiers of cells and another has five. Keep in mind, as I go on here, that each cell was meant for one prisoner, private cells. I forgot to look, I, was gonna, I don't know if it says somewhere how big they are, but obviously they're small. This prison actually even had ornamental gardens. The size of it and its visibility caused it to be a tourist attraction even back then. People loved to stroll through the gardens that were along Collins Street. And the prison was illustrated in the city's first atlas, which was published in 1873. So grounds and public rooms of the prison became holiday gathering spots. <laughs> That's really weird to think about, isn't it? Because who would do that now? Because, yeah. 
none of our prisons, I think, look that nice now. But I, I'm just imagining you got your little picnic basket and you go sit out by the barbed wire and you have your little what a great first date right oh honey let's go do that again i thought i saw one of the crazy people over there hang himself out the window woo good times <laughs> okay it was uh, originally as built uh, i think intended to be a fairly nice place all things considered but you know what they say about good intentions. Actually, I forgot. Maybe you could tell me. Uh, I do want to round out the timeline of this uh, before I go too much further. And I will tell you that in 1926, Stateville Penitentiary was constructed. It was meant to replace Joliet, which was overcrowded and un getting unsanitary, etc. However, do you think Joliet closed in 1926? Oh, no, 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 no. It was holding prisoners up until 2002. That's almost 80 years. It was closed as a budgetary, budgetary, budgetary measure. And not because, oh, it was squalid and disgusting. Now it's been used by Hollywood for a few things and probably its most famous prisoner, or shall I say fictional inmate is Joliet Jake from the Blues Brothers. It also stood in as Fox River State Penitentiary in the show Prison Break, which I didn't watch. Maybe you did. It's popped up in Empire, Derailed, and the appropriately named Let's Go to Prison. How about no? I know how you can get there, but let's just not do it. Now, as Juliet stood empty, it was, of course, vandalized. Uh, the elements caused a lot of dilapidation, but the people in town actually wanted to find ways to use it for something or preserve it. 2008's recession stalled that, but eventually Mayor Bob Odekirk petitioned the state to allow the city of Joliet to take control of it, and this was in 2017. They then looked to the historical museum to take a leadership role and conduct tours, which I told you there are. The city, the people in the city, banded together to preserve it, which is pretty cool. So over 6,500 volunteers uh, worked on a million-dollar labor and donations-in-kind project. That's, it, that's not actual cash, but it was worth that much. And they also raised $200,000 in straight-up cash uh, for the site. So that's pretty cool. But let's back up a little bit. Why does it have this reputation for being haunted and disgusting, etc.? So we'll back up a little bit about, you know, the, the amount of prisoners. 1858, there was approximately 280 prisoners. Not so bad. But it grew quickly to be much over 1,000. By 1866, 1,404 men and women were in the prison. It also held prisoners of war, the Civil War, my friends, along with these other people. So we know there's a whole lot of baggage going on with this population. In 1876, it had grown to about 1,700. Now, something to keep in mind is that there was no zero zip nada indoor plumbing until at least 1910. And even then, apparently, there were not toilets on all the cells and no running water. And those cells that were meant to have one occupant now had at least 
too. You know, I'm pretty sure if you had to be locked up in a room with somebody, no toilet, no sink, you would probably want to strangle each other just for that. <laughs> so there were a lot of internal fights, stabbings and hangings were often reported in the local newspapers in an effort supposedly apparently from some of the things I've read they erected almost an entire village one might say within the walls of the uh, prison of course the first thing was a nearly windowless building for solitary confinement but yeah if you put some of the real jerks in there I guess that would help keep some order but there was also a chapel a kitchen and dining hall, bathhouse, steam plant, hospital, which I'm sure they really needed, because come on, no running water and close quarters, talk about disease, greenhouses, a laundry, a library, storehouse, bakery, and eventually honor dorms. These are like prisoners, probably on good behavior, had special privileges and they could live there. Women were on the top floor of the main building until a separate prison was opened in 1894 on the other side, I think the east side of Collins Street. I want to note that before that though, they didn't even have, before the top floor, they didn't even have that and they were adjacent to the men's cells, which doesn't sound like a good idea. As I said, construction on this went on for years and years until 1966 with the final building was erected on the site and it was another chapel which also sounds like they really needed one it, it, it sounds all just quite so lovely now doesn't it yeah well it might have sounded nice from the outside but the inside was a different story but now let me tell you about some famous people who stayed there <laughs> sounds like a hotel they stayed there babyface nelson john wayne gacy they didn't die there, though, so sorry. You're not going to get any really cool ghost stories about those assholes. In the 1920s, it was 1924, I believe, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb were sentenced to life in Joliet after the murder of 14-year-old Robert Franks. Now, Loeb and Leopold were wealthy Chicago University students. Who thought they had committed the perfect crime. And in the papers, I guess it even called it the crime of the century. But as disgusting as we humans can be, you know that there have been many, many crimes of the century. Ease, <laughs> sadly. Now, according to their own relatives, as well as police, they had delusions of grandeur and believed in their own superiority. They say it was spurned by the Nietzsche concept of Ubermensch. You should look it up. U-B-E-R-M-E-N-S-C-H. It's, it's kind of complex. A basic idea in this context is superior human, but it does, it can depend what else you have attached to it, okay? It, it's not 100% always a terrible word, but obviously in this case it is. The, the, uh, the pair had kidnapped Robert when he was on his way home. And they apparently had this elaborate, like, phone calls, go here, do that, do that, elaborate thing set up uh, to get a ransom. Now, why didn't they do it? Why didn't they follow through? Media coverage grew and grew and caused them to abandon it. Now, they were originally up for the death penalty, but, of course, they had a decent lawyer who got that changed to life in prison. These guys were only teenagers themselves, by the way. They were 18 
and 19 years old. Now, you might want to say on the one hand, well, they're teenagers, let's not put them to death. But you guys, they spent seven months planning this. This wasn't just like, hey, this sounds like fun. Also, they used a chisel. Okay? They used a chisel. Because our 14-year-old victim was dead immediately, practically. Not quite. They, they grabbed him, got him in the car, beat the crap out of him, like with the chisel, I guess. Gagged him in the back and he died. They were never going to return him to anybody for this ransom. So, as far as I'm concerned, you almost don't even need to mention the kidnapping. I, it sounds more like, yeah, let's just grab somebody and murder them, murder them and then, ha, 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 we'll get some money. Unless they used a defense that, like, well, we didn't actually mean to kill him. We just beat him up a little too hard. You know, okay, whatever. They did not die at Joliet Prison either, though. Oh, womp, womp. You were hoping they were some of the ghosts. I know. They were transferred to Statesville, that other prison that was built. They were also trying to keep these guys apart. Uh, somehow they still managed to communicate, but they wanted to keep them separated. Now, Loeb was murdered by another inmate at the other penitentiary. Who knows? Maybe his ghost decided to drift on back to his original prison. Maybe he liked it better there. And the other guy, Leopold, for some reason was released in 1958. And later on, he had a heart attack. So he's dead. Dead, dead, dead ski. Now, we mentioned Babyface. He was sentenced uh, to a year, it was probably something more petty, but he escaped, so kudos. Serial killer Robert Speck was in Joliet. He died in the prison. Here you go, your first possible ghost. He died there in 1991 of a heart attack, which as far as I'm concerned was a much too nice way for him to go because he tortured and killed eight women in 1966. So maybe he's still there. Some of the things people talk about are, are particularly women being touched and scratched. Besides famous ghosts, though, or infamous ghosts, this place is just ripe for haunting because you had executions on site. They were executed by electrocution, hanging, and lethal injection. You had many who died of diseased. Some people were tortured, some and they died, and some were murdered by fellow inmates. I want to make a little side note here too, because I don't know, it just popped into my head when I was researching this. Um, even if you don't believe in ghosts, or shall I take it a step further, if you're an atheist, that doesn't mean that ghosts can't exist. And the reason I say that is I've, I've talked to, or maybe I've seen them online, atheists who just believe in nothing, right? No ghosts, no nothing. And I always thought to myself, why? Because you think it has to do with religion? But if you view it as energy, which every single ghost uh, hunting show or people who talk about ghosts will talk about energy, then it doesn't have to be about religion. So if you want to believe in ghosts, it's okay. Don't worry, atheist. I won't tell anybody. You can talk to me. It'll be between us. Okay, cool. I don't know. For some reason, I just wanted to get that out there. Okay? But if any place was ever ripe for, at the very least, residual energy, because don't tell me you haven't walked into room and felt the tension. There's a reason we use phrases like that. But I digress. And I am now going to take you to a specific, one of our, our first specific ghost stories. ChicagoHauntings.com 
This was written by someone named Ursula, and there's supposed to be a singing ghost of Joliet. So now this is no longer my writing, but someone else's. In the summer of 1932, thousands of residents from Joliet, Joliet, suddenly I couldn't say it, and surrounding areas as far as Chicago flocked to the old Joliet prison convict cemetery. Oh, did I mention there was a cemetery? In search of a singing ghost said to have been seen wandering among the graves, crooning hymns in a dreamy, ethereal voice. As was typical at the time, many of these early ghost hunters came armed with shotguns, knives, and other weapons. Yeah, these days it would be like, do you have your REM pod? Yeah, have you got the thermal camera? Yeah, have you got the digital recorder? Yeah, where's my camera? Okay, let's go. But no, these guys thought they were gonna shoot ghosts. <laughs> okay, if it's, if, it's, if it's not corporeal, how you get, okay, never mind. The search became a sensation, drawing as many as 5,000 people at night to the area. 1932, that's quite a party. Until the ghost was revealed to be, or so they claimed, a very much alive inmate at the prison, one William Chrysler, who reportedly enjoyed singing on the way to and from his duties working at the pumps at the nearby prison quarry. Author Dylan Clearfield, however, was not and is not convinced that the explanation is quite that simple. Clearfield grew up in Joliet on Edge Hill, a street which runs along the bluff overlooking the old prison farm, just south of a steep hill where the old convict cemetery sits. The area is part of a vast natural preserve today, which includes wooded, steep hillsides, small caverns, hills, and prairie land. Clearfield's family passed down to him vivid memories of the summer the singing ghost came to their sleepy subdivision on the hill, rambling past their house night after night towards the old graveyard. So he has a book, A Ghost Thrills America, where he carefully dissects the prison trustee, the prison trustee explanation for the singing ghost phenomena, putting forth many reasons why it could not be true. He also discusses some evidence backing up the idea that police created the explanation to break up the huge crowds which had been gathering each night and caused destruction of grave markers in the cemetery. Now, I can believe that. It wouldn't be the first time people have made up shit to disperse a crowd. So this all started on a hot night, July 14, 1932, when the sound of singing began wafting through the neighborhood late in the evening, long after radio broadcasts of the time would have ended. Besides the late hour, the song didn't sound like a pop tune, but like something you might hear in church. Some even claimed the voice was singing in Latin. The first to report the singing were members of the Dudek family. Dudeks lived on Juniper Street with their backyard abutting the prison field where the old convict cemetery sits, so they were close. The father and son of the house were out that first night when the singing began again. The following night, the two went out with a flashlight in search of the source but they didn't find anyone. The singing continued night after night, usually between 11.30 and midnight, and the voice began to draw the aforementioned crowds. At first, neighbors came out of curiosity, drawn by the sound, which carried through the streets of Fairmont Hill. Soon, the story spread through the city, and that drew people from all over and later from neighboring towns of Lockport, Crest Hill, and others. Eventually, cars full of ghost hunters were rolling into town from all over the state and even the nation. As the demographic changed, so too did the atmosphere. 
Whereas the first nightly gatherings were cheerful and fun, with Joliet families coming to the graveyard with picnic blankets and ghost stories to share, the later swelling crowds made up of outsiders tramped through people's backyards, broke the already crumbling and few headstones, and spread a general feeling of disrespect and disregard for the community and the prisoners interred in the cemetery. One of the most outrageous developments was that of a group of local swindlers who had started an illegal car parking scheme catering to the ghost hunters. See, I told you, humans are horrible. For 15 cents, you could park your car in the prison field while you investigated. But if you didn't hand over another 15 cents on the way out, the valets would break your windshield. Now, the disturbing issues that arose around the singing ghost of Joliet Prison caused much upset, of course, among the prison officials themselves and law enforcement. So it is Clearfield's theory, the author of the book, and Ursula backs him up, that the prison trustee was used as an explanation to end the sensation, turn the crowds back, and restore peace. Now, we mentioned him before, and that was William Leyland Chrysler. He had been held in Chicago's Cook County Jail before being sent down to Joliet on a conviction of grand larceny. Though he was a trustee, meaning that the warden trusted him with greater freedom and mobility than most, he probably lived in that honor dorm, Chrysler was still under the guard of a corrections officer at all times. He was not allowed to come and go between the prison and the quarry at will. Yet, Chrysler claimed that he was scared during his lonely nightly forays to check the sup pumps and that he started singing to keep himself company. But he wasn't allowed to go by himself, you guys. Also, it wasn't until almost two weeks after the singing began that Chrysler was claimed to be the source. Over that time, scores of newspaper articles had appeared in papers all over the country. This was the biggest thing to happen to, uh, in Joliet many years. I mean, it was a huge, huge, huge deal, right? So how come, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase her now. She makes a great point, and I'm sure it's made in the book. All of these people traipsing all over there at all hours and searching and searching. How come they never ran into Chrysler? Because they didn't. Nobody ever ran into this prisoner. And why didn't the guard realize that the guy he was supposed to be watching was singing? Also, the inmate, this guy, was apparently due to be released in three weeks. Just three weeks at the time the singing began. Like, so why would he cause trouble and possibly get in trouble and maybe not get released? This is a very good point. I agree. Now, one of the fascinating parts of Clearfield's research is his assessment of the way sound travels in areas of the old convict cemetery, the farmlands, and the quarry. Early on in the singing ghost phenomenon, critics of the haunting's authenticity charged that the voice was of someone working in the quarry with the walls of the quarry creating a sounding board for the singing. You know, fair enough. I, I in fact, uh, was it also a Taps episode or something else where they kind of debunked something. I think they might have been in a fort with a tunnel where sound could travel through it from, from rather far away but make you feel like it was right next to you. I've had that experience myself. You couldn't always be sure where sound was coming from. So Clearfield, the author, offers uh, apparently experiential evidence to disclaim this. I guess he went out and tested it and scientific evidence that the limestone walls of the quarry would trap sound inside and not amplify it. He had his own experiences where he heard the sound from the hill carried down from the area but not 
up into it. So I don't know. I haven't been there. Has anybody been there? Do you live in Illinois, Joliet? Hit us up. So who was the singing ghost? Well, some theories are offered also by Clearfield, whether or not it may have been Odette Allen, the warden's wife, who was so brutally murdered, which, dear listeners, is the entire reason I was reading this in the first place, because this is really about Odette. Later on, you'll hear me uh, mention another name for her. Well, it's a, it's a longer, her full name, but I, I'll get to that. She was said to have sang to the inmates. That is verified also again by a show that I was watching. They mentioned this. So why wouldn't she maybe sing songs in death? There are also hundreds of inmates interred at the prison over many years, some of them who led very dark, unsettled lives. Some were killed there, some died there or did the killing. Some committed suicide, some were executed. There were, uh, specifically, she mentions here, three murders, murderers and escapees who were executed in Joliet on July 15, 1927, after killing Deputy Warden Peter Klein. Perhaps the ghost of one of these men was the person singing. I, I'm not seeing a description whether or not it sounded, you know, like a female. There's a lot of possibilities, of course, that I guess he lists. Now I kind of want to get this book, by the way. Uh, because he lists a lot of the burials. There are tons of them. Numerous troubled souls. There's George Chase, the first to be executed in Joliet. He uh, was executed by hanging in late July 1866, and some believe his head wandered, or still does, the old cemetery, or he, he wanders. He wanders in search of his head which was removed after hanging. So phrenologists could study his brain. And this is making me think of a show I watched, which I'll get to at the end of this. I was intending to talk about it towards the end. I, I wonder if that's who they were talking about. I think that's who they were talking about. They were trying to talk to some specific ghosts and they mentioned a George. There's also in Dylan Clearfield's research, a vintage photograph of what appears to be a ghostly figure standing in his family's backyard, which skirted the prison field. They were close to the cemetery. Clearfield was thrilled to find this photo, which is quite interesting, she says, and he theorizes from its appearance that it is no prisoner but a French spirit from the days of the bustling fur trade along the nearby Des Plaines River. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fur trade went through all of the country. Incidentally, in 1932 wasn't the first time Joliet citizens had formed a ghost-seeking mob, or was it the first time a ghost had been associated with the old convict cemetery? Earlier, in 1909, a ghost panic had erupted in Joliet when a ghost was seen in the city's third ward. Parties of ghost hunters formed to hunt the phantom, including a gang of children who claimed to see a filmy feminine form sitting in the weeds by the side of a neighborhood farm road. One child claimed to see the ghost moving towards the cemetery near the A.M.E. church, quote. This was likely a church on Fairmont Hill, and the cemetery was likely the old convict cemetery. So hundreds of people came out to search for the spirit. Many of them, again, were armed with weapons, because sure, you can totally beat the crap out of a ghost. And around the same time, a buzz erupted over the possible haunting of the clock tower in nearby St. John's Catholic Church on Hickory Street. Alas! 
a very real woman was found to be probably behind this tale. And this is a quote from a reporter. Those who have made a study of the case are firmly convinced that a woman of questionable mental capacity is responsible for the scare. But whatever the facts may be, that the case is the most peculiar in the recent history of the city has been firmly fixed. There was a time when spooks and haunted houses were common, but the day has long since passed. Oh no, my friend, we're still into it. Some people also refer to, just a few notes here, the old convict cemetery as Monkey Hill, or properly called Fairmont Hill. And there are still parts of it you can see on the bluff overlooking the prison. And the quarries are now water-filled. And the prison farmlands are shrouded by overgrowth. The old wooden markers are long gone. And burials from Old Joliet Prison were done there over many generations. And ghost stories of the site go back to the earliest days of the cemetery fighting, uh, founding, even long before the singing ghost. Uh, we don't know why it's called Monkey Hill for sure. I see she was kind of talking about trying to figure that out. I'm going to uh, stop with that now because we read about that ghost. I want to tie that in now too. I think this is what I'm looking for. Yes, the murdered wife. This is from will.illinoisgenweb.org and it's a history chapter. This is an actual document they've scanned in here, I think, or, or a hand typed in. The History of Joliet by John Whiteside of the Herald News. The man who killed my wife must die, but I must be sure that I have the right man by John Whiteside. They called her the little mother at the big stir. Odette Maisie Bordeaux Allen was also known as the Angel of Joliet because of her beautiful singing voice. The talented singer had been a star on the stage in New Orleans before she married Warden Edmund Ned Allen. As a widower with small children, he had met Odette while attending a conference on prisons. Their romance was a whirlwind, and he brought Odette home to Joliet, where he headed the big prison on Collins Street. At the time, the warden, who was nationally recognized in corrections, was helping to plan a new state prison to be called Stateville. But no one knew that the little mother at the big stir would end up being a prison casualty. On Saturday, June 19, 1915, the warden went to Chicago. It was one more long meeting with politicians in the planning of the new prison. prison. That afternoon, Allen brought his wife a $3,000 diamond ring. Bought, pardon me, big difference, bought. He was going to present it to her that evening at dinner. I must interject, that's a lot of money for back then. Carrying on. Odette called her husband with a change of plans. She couldn't come to Chicago because the dressmaker hadn't completed two new dresses she wanted to wear. Odette decided to go to the movie theater that evening with her two stepchildren. They were driven back to the warden's quarters inside the prison at 10.45 p.m. by a convict chauffeured car. The living quarters was fully staffed by convict houseboys. The houseboy, Joe Campbell, who was called Chicken Joe, went on duty at 5.30 a.m. Sunday. He was a 29-year-old killer from Chicago, but Odette had personally selected him for duty in her home. At 6 a.m., 
Odette rang a little bell in her bedroom. Chicken Joe entered and filled a water container on the nightstand. She asked for coffee and the newspaper, which he delivered. Odette told the houseboy he wouldn't be needed until about 9 a.m. when she planned to shampoo her hair. Chicken Joe was told to take Mike, her terrier puppy, outside to play. Shortly after 6.30 a.m., guards noticed smoke coming from the warden's quarters. They rushed to the second floor and discovered the smoke coming from Odette's bedroom, which was locked. They broke down the door, and it took firefighters 10 minutes to extinguish the flames. When the smoke cleared, the fire had been mainly confined to Odette's bed. Her body was badly charred, but investigators were able to tell that her skull had been crushed by a blunt instrument. They also suspected she had been sexually molested. The fire had been started by a jug of wood alcohol, which was stored in the bedroom closet. The main suspect immediately was Chicken Joe Campbell, though two other houseboys were on duty. All three were locked into isolation cells. On Monday, as the county coroner conducted an inquest, 200 convicts rioted in the dining room of the prison. They broke out into the yard area chanting, Give us Campbell! Give us Campbell! Give us Campbell! Warden Allen, who called the convicts my boys, was a popular and compassionate man. Signing a letter from your boys, the convicts sent him a message about establishing an honor system in the name of his beloved wife. Odette was buried in the back of Oakwood Cemetery on Tuesday. Most of the city closed down for the funeral. Several carloads of flowers were left on the grave. As investigators looked into the murder, Chicken Joe maintained his innocence. On June 25th, 10 days after the murder, the Herald News reported, he must prove himself innocent and the state must prove him guilty and neither can ever do either. The death is full of mystery, possibly one of the biggest mysteries that the state authorities have ever faced. The man who killed my wife must die, but I must be sure that I have the right man, the warden said. The investigation by local police, prison officials, and private detectives produced no conclusive evidence against Chicken Joe, but the circumstantial evidence was enough to convict him that summer. He was sentenced to die on the hangman's gallows. But Governor E.F. Dunn, realizing the impact of the rush to judgment against Chicken Joe and Joliet, commuted the sentence to life in prison. Chicken Joe finally died in the Joliet prison in 1950. And the mystery of who really killed the little mother at the Big Stir was never solved. And there are your two most famous ghosts said to haunt Joliet prison. And I feel like maybe Odette might be the singing ghost. Who knows? Who knows? Let's let's double check that date. Let's double check that date. 1915. Yep, she could be. She could be. Now, I wrote some notes while I was watching Ghost Hunters, and so I will kind of finish up with that. Uh, some things that were said to happen at the museum, or you know, people or museum. Well, it is kind of a museum. Uh, Joliet prison our people have been touched but my personal favorite is the seven foot tall man in the blue jumpsuit who is apparently seen all over the damn place sadly they didn't get any evidence of this on the show i was super disappointed 
I don't know who this guy is. Nobody knows who the guy is. We didn't have a story about him. At least they didn't mention anything on the show. This is where I heard more about how prisoners were tortured. Um, and Taps had gone there to investigate because the executive director, who is, I believe, Greg Pierbolt, was had said that the activity had felt like it had become more threatening. And because they do tours there and they have people work there, he was concerned for them. So Ghost Hunters Taps uh, went to check it out and they had guests from Destination Fear who uh, a year prior to doing this with Ghost Hunters had apparently spent the night there. Now the director on the show said that there was no running water until the late 1940s. Uh, so, and then the other thing had said 1910, but I'm sure it might've been done in stages. He mentioned records of 13 executions and torture that was kind of like waterboarding. Also a prisoner that was lashed to death as he screamed his own name. Workers, some workers said they were scratched like so, so much so that they could see it. And there were two cells for some reason that are particularly scary to people where they see a lot of shadows and it just feels really icky. Uh, cell 225, 226. So obviously they checked that out. Uh, I'm looking for something here because they talked about somebody else. Well, I guess that comes later. Let me just look at my notes. There are audio sounds, you know, as well as visual hauntings. And while they investigated, um, they did catch some things. It was very interesting. I, I, you know, I was watching it now, destination fear, like a year prior, give you a little backstory. Uh, they were in the hospital section and they caught a video. And then I think isolated into a screen capture to show of a black mass that was coming from the ceiling. And, you know, I saw it and who knows, it could be anything, right? But there is a, a picture of a black mass. And it's, it's worth noting because of something that Taps finds later. So when Jason and Steve, I love those guys, uh, first go in, they almost immediately get some audio sounds. And some of it sounds like a woman's voice. Not really saying anything intelligible, but it sounds like a woman. And there's footsteps and other things like that. And they have their usual equipment, you know, REM pods, thermal cameras, recorders, all the latest and greatest, as well as the old standbys like, hey, can you turn this flashlight off? But some of the best stuff I heard uh, on the episode is there's, there's some loud banging, you guys, and footsteps, footsteps, and people having really creepy, heavy feelings. And yeah, I'm just watching it on TV and I'm like, nope, nope. I'll be wearing all of my Nopeville on the train to Nopeville. Give me a one-way ticket to Nopeville. Noping the fuck out of here. Uh, T-shirts be like, nope. I, I think that um, these prisons for me are the creepiest of all that there's, and, and mental hospitals probably are, are close uh, that I would not be able to, to step into. Like part of me is really drawn by the idea of ghost hunting and the other part of me is like, no, I'm too scared. <sighs> so... But back to what I was saying. What I found interesting was Jason and Steve caught an anomaly in the same place that Destination Fear had caught the Black Mass. And theirs was more, it was kind of on the thermal camera and something that sort of peeked out and it almost looks like a face. Uh, you, you know, if you want to watch the episode, the January 1st, 2022 episode of Ghost Hunters on Discovery Plus. By the way, and I and they, they don't sponsor me, I wish. Um, if you don't have it, it's really cheap. It's like five bucks, six bucks. 
But here's the trick, okay? I'm going to give you a little tip that an, an astounding number of people don't think of this. It's I'm sorry, but it's funny to me that you don't think of this. You pay for the month, immediately turn around and cancel it, but you still get the month that you paid for. Binge the hell out of it. There you go. You're welcome. You don't want to pay for for Disney Plus, but you want to see some of the stuff? Pay for it. Immediately turn around and cancel it. You still get the 30 days that you paid for. I don't think anybody doesn't give it to you. I mean, you can double check, but because I hear people go, oh, I don't want to pay for another subscription. Don't. Do what I do. Pay for it. Binge the crap out of it. Quit it. <laughs> You're welcome. So if you want to watch this on Discovery, there's a lot of other cool stuff on there, by the way, that you can binge, okay? There's a lot of cool stuff. So I'm sure you will find plenty of things to watch that will be well worth your six bucks. Again, you're welcome. And if you don't want to watch it, that's cool. You know, I don't care. But I just thought you might want to watch it and judge for yourself. They got this thing on a thermal camera. In another spot, too, they had got something where the where the woman's voices were. And I forget which wing they were in. Um it looked like a person walking. So that was kind of cool. And there was another guy that my favorite was the guy from Destination Fear. So at one point they were there like three days, three nights. They were like, we're going to spend the night here each in, in different places all alone. Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Not. So one of the guys, I think he was around some of the solitary cells and he's sitting there. I think my favorite part is how much he freaks out. Uh, and he's trying to talk to someone named Fred Blink, I think it was, or Blick, who I'll tell you about him in a minute. And so he's actually specifically using names now because throughout the episode, they stop and talk to historians and people who worked there and stuff like that. And so they find out about this guy. And all of a sudden, it sounds like somebody comes running up to him and he loses his shit. And actually, I would too. Again, I would probably be shitting my pants. But it really does sound like somebody runs up. And then he has a REM pod. Now, if you don't know what that is. It has, I guess, its own electromagnetic field that it puts off in a little antenna. And they set them, though, so that you have to be right on top of it to make it go off. You can't make this go off by being close or leaning or stomping. You have to put your hand right on it and break that electromagnetic field. So he's sitting there, and he's not even that, you know, it's a little ways away from him. And after he jumps up and freaks out, the thing, after several seconds, goes off. And it won't stop. And it's like, he's freaking, he's freaking out and it won't stop. And he finally had to shut it off. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be noping the fuck out of there. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I got my, did you get that? Did you film that? Okay, cool. Cool. You see Jason later when he's watching it is trying not to laugh. <laughs> so who is Fred Blink or Blick? Well, he killed five people. And he was executed in the prison. And, and his last words were, I wish the two people I didn't kill could sit in my lap so they could die with me. What a nice guy. What a peach of a human being. What a guy. What a guy. Mm. <laughs> Gonna give him a medal. Uh, you'll be happy to know, or perhaps not, that he killed himself in solitary when he was in solitary confinement. Um, Oh, and he also, um, oh, no, wait, I'm getting them mixed up. There was a lot of horrible people here. He was executed. That's right. I said that he was executed. No, there was a different 
asshole named Frank. You can you can understand why I got confused. There's Fred, there's Frank, yo Frankie. Frank Rand, who killed two people and then killed a deputy warden at the prison. And he killed himself in solitary while he was in solitary confinement. There is a Joseph Coke, Coakley. I spelled it out phonetically, that's why I got confused. There was a Joseph Coakley in 1931. He was handcuffed to his cell door four days. And he kept saying he didn't feel well. You think? And he died, handcuffed to his cell door. This set off a riot in 1931. Yeah, which reminds me, I seem to have lost a page somewhere. I know that there was a riot led by, where are we, where are we? There was also a riot in 1975. The Black Peace Stones, who were an organized crime group from Chicago, took over a cell block in the prison. They held several correctional officers hostage and they were demanding that they not be separated and transferred because, because the deal was this organization had gained too much power within Joliet and so the authorities were conspiring to break them up by sending some of their more prominent members to other prisons. Well, they found out about it, the, the P-Stones. So Frank L. Finkbeiner, who was the prison warden at the time, spoke to the inmates through their intercom system. And he was trying to de-escalate the situation, of course, and he assured the, the prisoners that they would not be hurt. So he sent uh, a former Black P-Stone member named Herbert Cadillac Catlett to negotiate. Cadillac was a reformed member and had long since begun cooperating with the authorities, so you can probably guess how that went. He was murdered by the Stones. So the warden came around later on to speak to the rioters, and he delivered a speech to the uh, inmates while standing in a pool of Cadillac's blood. Now, it doesn't say how, but the situation was resolved shortly afterward. So there's another possible ghost for you, nicknamed Cadillac. What else went on in this place? Well, let's see. They tried to uh, contact Chicken Joe Campbell. I don't think they really got anywhere with that. And nothing much else exactly happened there. There were sounds, you know, more sounds. A good one was some key jingling which was actually kind of convincing if you hear the audio. So like I said, if you want to watch, you know, Discovery Plus. And they mentioned also on the show, by the way, because the guys, when they heard the um, what they thought was a woman's voice, I think it happened three or four times with different people, different groups uh, that were investigating as they split up. They didn't know about her at first. And then they talked to the historian or somebody else. And then they told him about her and they're like, oh, that's why. So I guess when they were investigating, they didn't know about her. Now they called her Maisie Odette, Maisie as a first name, but other sources it's, would she have though, like four names, five names? I think that she's very interesting and I almost want to look more up about her, you know, let me know, hit me up on Twitter. And that is season three, episode one. I have this irrational urge to go back and renumber all my episodes because I see other podcasts just go up into the hundreds or, you know, like one, one, like season one would be, you know, oh, never mind. I know what I'm trying to say and I can't say it. Like I said, it's irrational. Thank you for listening. I'm going to stop now. I don't even know how long I've been talking. I was, oh, well, that's about an hour.
It felt like longer. Didn't it feel like longer? That's not a good sign. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you will join me for upcoming episodes. I'm going to try to keep the weekly schedule that I had before. And uh, find me on all the socials. And thanks for listening. I appreciate you. I would also really love a like, share, comment, review, and a tip. <laughs> also, I may or may not be trying to start a very, very tiny, small candle business. And if anybody knows the Bex wicks, I had no idea that wicks could make or break a candle. But they are apparently the most important thing in the whole process. And I am now having nightmares about wicks. And that's all I've got to say about that. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, and don't. I don't know. Uh, don't you forget about me.